In a suburb north of Paris, there is a basilica dedicated to Saint-Denis, or Saint Denis. And until the French Revolution, this was the traditional burial site of French monarchs. Clovis, Charles Martel, Saint Louis IX, and Louis XIV, all were to be found there, alongside the relics of Saint Denis, one of the patrons of France. As a result of this distinction, pilgrims began making their way to the basilica at an early date. In the year 1135 or so, to accommodate the growing crowds, which were causing problems in the aisles and so on, the abbot of the resident monastic community, a man by the name of Suget, embarked on an innovative project to enlarge the basilica. This work is known to historians of architecture as the birth of the Gothic style. Three characteristics distinguish this new style. You can see them in our building, which is neo-Gothic. The first was its elegant harmony, the balancing of weight and height, the proportions of the different sections of the church, the geometric precision of the arches, Secondly was the emphasis on light. This emphasis was made possible by new techniques in glassmaking, but also by Suget's own theology, which was strongly influenced by the light imagery of the mysterious Syrian monk of many generations before him, who is known to us today as Pseudo-Dionysius. We tend to think of Gothic churches, I think, as dark, um, compared to the steel frame buildings we're used to now, where walls are replaced by floor-to-ceiling windows, basically. But compared to the Romanesque style which preceded Suget, the Gothic style amazed people by its transparency. The last characteristic of the Gothic to note is its remarkable upward thrust. So when you enter this church, I think we all experience that sense. You want to look upward toward the sanctuary and toward the ceiling. And again, you can see all of this in our humble neo-Gothic church, the harmony of it, uh, the warm light when the sun is up through our beautiful stained glass, and then this upward motion that elevates our hearts. The work of church building, in some sense, is the crowning work of humankind. When God created us, his intention was that we be stewards and co-creators with him. Creation, in this sense, is the work, the ongoing work, of extracting order from chaos, harmony from discord. This work necessarily builds on the materials at hand, the materials that God has given us to work with. So stone, wood, slate, and iron, in the case of a building— earth and metals for utensils, animal hides, flax, and cotton for clothing. The reason that church building is our crowning work is that it is a comprehensive act of ordering the world toward its origin and its goal, that is, toward God. So we take all the materials of the natural world and we put them in this amazing and beautiful order to honor and glorify God. And temples and shrines of various sorts have always aspired to this, as we heard in the first reading with Solomon's temple. 
But with the Incarnation, this work takes on a new dimension. As the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary when she conceived the Messiah, Catholic churches are consecrated after their completion, and by this consecration become living icons of Christ's body, the Church in all of its meanings, all of its senses. Christ truly takes up his abode in this place, dwelling among us. This church is thereby set apart as well from other spaces. When you come in here, you enter a different reality than what you experience outside. This consecration points us heavenwards toward the one true God who dwells in inaccessible light, though that light now streams into this architectural body, both literally in the windows, but also spiritually in its occupancy by the Holy Spirit. The harmony of this church, its warm light and upward momentum, should be a constant reminder to us of the God of creation and the God of our redemption. Contemplating this harmony, light, and upward yearning, let us allow its beauty to relieve us of all anxiety, of all fretful striving, trying to accomplish things on our own, because God is with us. This is true even when we are not in the church building, of course, but the building is a powerful meditation on the truths that we profess. It's a product of the faith of, uh, in this particular case, of the faith of hundreds of German immigrants at the early 20th century who contributed to its building. More than that, traditional Catholic church architecture is a model for our bodies, temples as they are of the Holy Spirit. We too should be models and icons of order and harmony, aiming to master ourselves ascetically, to remove all wanton passions and disturbances, calibrating our desires and faculties so that we may be transparent to the luminous grace of God and ever seeking the things above. Just as we do not permit worldly images or activities in this church, let us purify ourselves from all vulgarity and vanity so that we may present our bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God.